Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. Oh, I'm sort of heartbroken that Kyone Wolf has the day off today because ordinarily we would be running an intro here that I would have written. And I was actually kind of looking forward to writing an intro about today's subject because um, it, it just screams out for comic treatment. We're going to be talking about passwords. And I have to caution you and say that we're not really going to be talking about passwords in the sort of, I don't know, marketplace tech report uh, way. We're going to, I mean, we'll, we will have some technical information for you about passwords, but that's not really our overarching goal. I think our goal today is to talk about what it means to be such a password-based society right now. I mean, really, years ago, you had maybe one password, right? You opened your first AOL account or Yahoo or something, and you thought of one password, and it probably was like the name of a dog or something. Maybe I'm revealing too much about myself. I'm sure mine was the name of a dog. And then it just got a lot more complicated. Your password wasn't good enough, and you needed multiple passwords. You might have tried to use the same password as you began opening lots of other accounts and, and participations on various platforms. And maybe you thought, well, I can use the same password for all of them. But at some, some point, some tech-savvy person said, oh, no, no, you can't do that. That makes you so infinitely hackable. So you had to start developing this incredibly Rococo and diverse system of passwords, different passwords. And then every once in a while, there's a worm, there's a virus, there's a, a, a hack story about like the one from last week. And the word goes forth, oh, no, change all your passwords. And you clutch your forehead and think, oh, my God, I've got so many passwords right now. And there are solutions to this. But another part of that whole question is what does it mean that we've become the society of people who walk around either in our heads or written down on the back of a potholder in a secret place in our kitchen or, or somewhere we've got all these words. And they're not words. I mean, they used to be words, but now they're much more nonsensical kinds of things. Uh, the more nonsensical, the better, the less uh, recognizable as actual words, the better. And, and whether, one of our questions here, uh, as we talk to our guests, is whether that winds up kind of distancing ourselves a little bit from, I mean, you know, we're creatures who use words most of the time. But now we have these really important words, words that you have to know in order to get to use all the other words you want to use, except that these things are, the, for the most part, not words. So we've got lots of questions about that. And we'd love to hear from you, too, at 860-275-7266. I feel as though this is a listener participation type show. Uh, 860-275-7266. Who have you become password-wise? There are probably other interesting questions that I could ask you, but that's a good place to start. Let me tell you who's with us today. Willow Remus is here. He's a senior technology writer for Slate.com. And in just a second, you'll meet Randy Malamud. Malamud. He's a chair, the chair of the Department of English at Georgia State University, the author of six books, including The Language of Modernism and Reading Zoos. He recently wrote an essay on passwords for, uh, for Salon.com in much the spirit of what I was just saying. To what degree is this whole sort of substitute language system kind of distancing our, ourselves from language, distance, distancing us, making us sort of think non-linguistically uh, about really important activities that we have to do? So anyway, we're going to come to all that, and, and perhaps that even sounds more forbidding than I really mean it to be. But Willow Remus, I want to start um, with... Um, 
with a ritual, actually, okay? So maybe our old agrarian rituals and the rituals that got us in and out of castles and past various moats, those are dying out. But other rituals come along to take their place. So one ritual in which you have some uh, minor participation uh, is uh, uh, an annual ritual uh, that I believe happens in January that we could call, uh, with initial capital letters, the shaming of the bad passwords. So there's there's some company that puts out a list of the worst possible passwords, and, and then the whole idea is to circulate this list around, particularly to opinion shapers like you, and make people ashamed of their stupid, reflexive, unimaginative <laughs> passwords. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, there's an annual report that comes out. Uh, it's a, a company called Splash Data does it, and they're not necessarily making a value judgment. They don't say it's the worst passwords. They're just the 25 most common passwords. <laughs> uh, it's compiled from all the passwords that have been hacked uh, uh, over the past year, and uh, and uh, they go through and, and see which ones appear most frequently. And you would not be surprised by the ones that routinely end up at the top of the list. Uh, it's it's last year, I think, password was finally overtaken for the number one spot uh, by one, two, three, four, five, six. So we've gotten we've gotten a little less enamored of password as a password, and uh, the the sequential numbers are now in the top spot. And there are things like ABC and one, two, three, and QWERTY, the 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 name of the keyboard and the, all those adjacent le- letters. Thank God, I have a Vorjak keyboard. I'll completely defeat the the Russian hackers. They'll never guess. Um, and and so, is there a, a purpose? I mean, and you did a kind of a funny commentary about this, and and kind of did your own psychographic interpretation of what each password means. Uh, if your password is admin, you should be fired immediately. Uh, for example, so um, so. Is there a purpose? I mean, obviously, we we want people's bank accounts and credit card accounts and and drop boxes to be um, safe and secure so that they're not unhappy. Is there kind of some kind of larger group sociological purpose? Are we protecting the herd too? Is it important that Joe Blow down the street from me has a pretty good password? Is it important to me? Can if people somebody can get into him? Can is it possible maybe that the entire herd gets compromised somehow? That's a good question. I think it cuts both ways. I mean, if, you're, if your neighbor down the street has a terrible password, let's say he's one of the millions whose password is password, that makes it really easy to guess. It makes it easy for hackers to get into his accounts. And the downside for you might be that then you get an email from him one day saying that he is, uh, you know, he's on vacation in England and uh, he's, he's lost, he's been uh, pickpocketed and lost all his ID and he needs you to wire him a thousand pounds immediately uh, or else uh, he's just never, he's, you know, he's stuck in England the rest of his life, I guess. Um, and, you know, if you're, if you're moderately savvy person, you will recognize that that's probably not authentic. And at the very least, you'd email back and say, hey, is this really you? Uh, but, you know, so yeah, so when, when people don't set up good password protection for themselves, they're opening themselves to hacks that can then expose their contacts to the same hackers. It also happens through social networking. Somebody's Twitter gets hacked, and then they'll send you a direct message saying, uh, oh, man, I can't believe this crazy video of you. Uh, you know, why would you do something like this? And then there's a link. And of course, if you click on the link, then you are hacked as well. Um, so so there is a downside. But, you know, it's funny. There's There could also be an upside because part of 
password protection, part of online security is just you having enough security that you're not the easiest person to hack. You know, it's, it's like any form of security. If, if your house is the one uh, with the, uh, the ADT security system signs on the lawn and your neighbor doesn't have that, yeah, maybe you don't even have a security system, but maybe the the uh, guy who wants to break into a house that day decides, ah, I'm not going to take my chance. I'll go with the one that doesn't have the ADT sign outside. So it's sort of like the old joke about the two guys, you and I are being chased by the tiger, and I say, I don't have to run faster than the tiger, I just have to run faster than you. Yeah, there's, there's some of that at work. I think in general we'd all be better off, on the whole, if we were all a little better, if we, we, if we had a better system as a society of protecting our identities online. And as we go along here, Will, one of the things Will's going to do today is talk about some of the other ideas that are out there, and they're not just ideas, in some cases they're applications, things that you can do that are not a password, and maybe also in our brave new world, uh, what uh, things uh, will in fact uh, come along. But they're already here, basically. It's a question of how well do they work, and to what degree do you want to enslave yourself to another system. But that's coming up. That's ahead of us. We need to talk a little bit more even about this word, this concept of password. All right, so, and we're going to a- add Randy Malamud, previously introduced uh, to to us, uh, and and talk a little bit about the notion of a password. Um, And so what 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 was a password? Well, of course, a password was something that you would do to gain entry to somewhere, Uh, but it would be a physical point of entry. It was uh, crossing uh, a drawbridge to a castle or getting past a sentry, an armed sentry somewhere, or maybe getting into a speakeasy. Well, let's give you an example uh, of um, how a password could or couldn't work uh, via the Marx Brothers. Hey, Barry Valley. What do you want? Watch the door for a few minutes and don't let anyone in without the password. All right, what is it? Swordfish is the password. Do you understand? Okay, I got it. Well, what is it? Password. Swordfish! Swordfish! Right, the swordfish, the swordfish. They uh, had some muscles in the room full of faccia dozy fats. Who are you? I'm fine, thanks. Who are you? I'm fine too, but you can't come in unless you give the password. Oh, what is the password? Oh, no, you gotta tell me. Hey, I tell what I do, I give you three guesses. It's the name of a fish. Is it Mary? Ha <laughs> ha! That's an old fish. She isn't. Well, she drinks like one. Let me see. Is it Stajan? Hey, you're crazy. Sturgeon, he's a doctor. Cuts you off, and when are you sick? Now, I give you one more chance. I got it. Haddock. That's a funny. I got a haddock, too. But you know, guess it. Hey, what's the matter? You don't understand English? You can't come in here unless you say swordfish. Now, I give you one more guess. Swordfish? Swordfish. I think I got it. Is it swordfish? <laughs> That's it. You guess it. All right, so that's, of course, the Marx Brothers, their own interpretation of what a password is. But Randy Malamud, um, this is something that you write about, right? That uh, Long before there was AOL and Yahoo and all those early things that obliged us to come up with passwords, there were passwords that really had a physical reality and tended to be kind of embedded in the language in a certain way, right? Right. Yep. And, and so give us some examples. Give us one or two of your favorite uh, colorful historical password examples. I think the best one is probably Open Sesame from the story of Alibaba and the 40 Thieves. And it's uh, uh, something that Alibaba overhears, and it gets him into the cave to get the gold from the robbers. And, and in that story, you, you not only need a password to get in, but a password to get out, uh, which not everybody remembers. But that one is Close Sesame. shouldn't be too hard to remember. Uh, and his brother goes in and forgets the password to get out, so he 
dies in the cave, but Alibaba knows how to get in and knows how to get out, and he gets the money, and the thieves are overcome. And, and so there's a whole story. There's a narrative. There's an intrigue uh, built around the password. And as you say, passwords, you know, are to get into castles or for spies to get into, uh, you know, occupied territory. Uh, and so the, there, there's an importance and a dignity and a resonance and a sort of grandiloquence about those words, um, which is so, for me, so painfully at odds with the banality uh, and the nonsense and the uh, just the gibberish uh, of our of our passwords today. Uh, and they are still to get into important places. You know, I like the internet. I'd like to be able to get into my my Gmail and my bank account and, and all these other things. Uh, but it it really annoys me. And I, you know, I had this building up inside me. And then with the story last week about the Russian hackers who supposedly stole 1.2 billion passwords, I just I snapped. You know, and and I just say, you know, I, I'm mad as hell, and I'm not going to take it anymore. Can I say hell on your show? Yeah, you just did actually. Okay, yeah, uh, and and I, I just felt the need to uh, to to respond, you know, perhaps a little bit over dramatically, melodramatically, uh, but but it really is infuriating. Um, for, you know, I happen to be an English professor, but for anybody who cares about language, uh, to see uh, these these passwords, and, you know, the word has the word word in it, so it's a word, and I, I'm an English professor, and I should know something about it, and I should be able to, to relate to it and like it and use it, um, and I just I just feel completely alienated from them, uh, and, and that annoys me. I feel like uh, I should be able to tackle this, this problem that I'm having with passwords. I should be able to master them, uh, that I should be able to integrate them into the tradition of language and literature and words, uh, but they, they just stand outside, and that strikes me as a problem, and I don't know what the answer is. Well, you know, Will Oremus, um, in, in a way, uh, one of the metaphors or uh, analogies that you've used, it, it kind of speaks to what Randy's saying right now in the sense that I, I think that you've said, you know, you, you need a different security system for different things, and so some castles, maybe all you need is a sentry or, or at a certain point. Some castles, you need a wall, you need a moat, you need different things. I mean, there's at least a way in which the history of passwords located three or four or five hundred years ago or in our feudal past or, or, or past or, or whenever, it, it at least can be sort of projected out a little bit anyway into the thinking people do about their personal digital castles. Yeah, I mean, with our online lives, just as if we were trying to protect uh, our question, physical Will, home. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's me. I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll try to take that one. Uh, we we have various mechanisms for protecting ourselves, and how many mechanisms we need depends on how much we care. I mean, you know, some accounts that we have online these days, who really cares if somebody breaks into, oh, I don't know, our our uh, you know our Yelp or our Seamless account, and maybe they'll write <laughs> uh, facetious reviews in our name, and we'll be will will our reputation will suffer among our fellow Yelpers. But uh, but. Th- there are accounts like our bank accounts and, and uh, you know, PayPal and, and our primary email, uh, things that, that we have linked to uh, important parts of our lives, important functions in our lives, where we really do need uh, more security than you can get from just a password. And it's not just a matter of, of choosing a really good password or a really confusing password. And maybe I can come back to that in a second because I, I have an anecdote. I, I, I want to share a, uh, a comic that I think the professor uh, Malamud might appreciate. Um, but, uh, you know, it's not about choosing the most complex password. A lot of times it's about having multiple uh-huh. layers of defense, just as, just as is the case if you want to defend your castle. You don't want just a moat. You want a moat 
uh, you know, and castle walls and uh, archers on top with bows and arrows and, you know, uh, maybe uh, informants, spies out in the forest who can tell you when someone's approaching. So oh. really the thing to do these days is to have at least two factors uh, that, that are needed to get into your secure accounts. That'll help you a lot more than just one gibberish password. Yeah, Randy, I think I heard you uh, responding. I couldn't, I couldn't hear what Will was saying. Oh, you can't hear what Will was saying. All right. So we'll, oh, no. <laughs> we'll, we'll try to fix that. We'll try to fix that immediately. So uh, while we're fixing that, um, Randy, let me just um, uh, direct a question to you. Yep. The, um, so w- I think one of the things that you're reacting to a little bit is if, if you think back to the history of passwords, mm-hmm. um, one of the purposes of passwords in, in ancient times or in, in, in say, medieval times uh, and maybe after that, it really was more a question of establishing that you and I are from similar backgrounds. Right. So there, there's an expression that I think is sort of feeding from our parlance. We used to used to talk about being on the key vive, right, which means being on the lookout. And mm-hmm. it, it comes from a challenge, basically, that a sentry might issue, key vive, who, who lives. And then the correct answer would be, you know, uh, King Henry II or whoever was the king of your... So then you'd sort of know, you know, viva the same king. You'd sort of know we're the same people. Yep. And, and similarly, I, you know, in World War II centuries would ask, you know, I don't know, they'd ask some question about DiMaggio or something, right, uh, mm-hmm. to establish that you were Americans. And you seem to be reacting to the fact that modern-day passwords are kind of the opposite. It's like, how estranged from anybody, everybody else can I make myself? Right, right. And what you described, that's the way language works generally. You know, your, uh, the, the type of language you use, the tone, the style, the accent, all of that uh, serves to identify you as part of this community uh, of storytellers and, and part of a society and, and communicators. Um, and uh, you asked the question at the beginning of the show, you know, who have you become password-wise? Uh, I have become an utter incompetent failure. Uh, I usually can't remember my passwords. I, uh, you know, I don't know how to type them. I can't go back and forth between all the symbols. So the the language the, the the message that I'm getting uh, is that I'm not doing a good job of interacting with this with this community with this web community uh, that I would like to be on you know I I'm not one of those fusty English professors who thinks you know that the internet shouldn't exist I fully you know approve of the internet uh, and and I want to get on it and I want to have conversations with people and I want to look at art and I want to hear Sylvia Plath reading her poetry on YouTube and do all the wonderful things uh, that you can do but you've got this portal uh, you know using going back to your castle image uh, you. you You've got this portal uh, that is just, you know, really impenetrable and hostile uh, to people like me, and I think it's a pro- it's a problem of usability. You know, it's not user friendly, uh, and that to me is a big problem because I know that there are people whose jobs it is uh, to do usability testing, to do usability research and design. So uh, I, again, I don't know what the answer is, but I know that it is possible to make it more accessible, to make it less off-putting for someone like me to get into my email account, uh, and. It strikes me that there's, you know, I don't want to become too sort of paranoid about this, but it strikes me that there's almost a conspiracy on the part of the technophiles uh, to keep the humanists at bay. You know, this is our world, and, and you don't know the password. You don't know the key, Vive. You can't get in. All right. So, um, Will, Will Aremus, uh, listening to all this, well, let's uh, think a little bit about sort of a humanistic uh, and humanities-oriented person like Randy. So what, what Randy really wants is, let's say that he is a uh, fan, perhaps, and even scholar of Dickens. I'm just pulling this out of thin air. So he wants his passwords all to be sort of Havisham and Dorrit and Jarndyce and Chuzzlewit and, and stuff like that. But then what he's told, basically, was you can have 
Chuzzlewit or Dorrit, but you should add some numbers to it and maybe turn one of the T's into an exclamation point, right? I mean, just having Chuzzlewit for some reason or other, and I'm asking Will this question now, uh, it's just not going to work anymore, at least in these high security situations that you're talking about. His Capital One credit card account, he really needs a, a higher wall and a deeper moat, right? Yeah, I mean the worst part is even if even if you could get uh, Chuzzlewit to work for one of your accounts, which I, I wouldn't rule out. It's not a dictionary word, right? So so at least you're not uh, you know words that are in the dictionary and especially common words in the dictionary are the absolute worst. Um, but even if you did that, you still need different passwords for different accounts. I hate to I hate to uh, belabor that, but it really is true. It's it's really important because one of your accounts at some point is going to get hacked, and if you're using that same password, those same credentials for all of your others, then all of your accounts are going to get hacked. You want to keep what you want to do is keep hacking to the level of a low nuisance. Um, you know, you don't want to have it be the type of thing that can wipe out your entire online life. And the way to do that again is to have different passwords for different sites. But the good news uh, for Professor Malamud and others like him is that you don't necessarily have to do that by making your passwords total gibberish. There's a great example of this in a cartoon. uh, The the, the, uh, cartoonist Randall Monroe, who does the XKCD comics um, that usually have to do with science or or math or that sort of thing, Um, he has a wonderful one about passwords. He says, "Over, over 20 years of effort, we've successfully trained everyone to use passwords that are hard for humans to remember, but easy for computers to guess. And what he's talking about is he gives the example, if your password is troubadour and three with, with the O in troubadour replaced with a zero and the A replaced with a four, uh, you know, it's, it's gibberish. It's really hard for you to remember. It's actually not that great of a password. So those, those symbols, they do help because if you have symbols A, you're no longer stuck with just a dictionary word, so they can't guess it just by running through all the words in the dictionary. B, by getting out of the realm of just the alphanumeric um, uh, you know, 26 letters and, and uh, 10 numerals, you are uh, introducing an exponential order of, uh, of difficulty in guessing when you, when you add in other types of symbols. So that's good. But, you know, that password is relatively short. It's not impossible for, uh, you know, a powerful computer just running through millions of combinations to eventually hit on. So he suggests instead a better password is choose four random common words. They may, maybe they don't have to be random. Maybe they could have some, some metaphoric significance uh, for Professor Malamud. Uh, he, his example is correct horse battery staple. Put those all together as your password, correct horse battery staple, and you've got a much longer combination. It's actually harder to guess than the gibberish one, and it's pretty easy to remember. He draws a little ca- cartoon of a, of a horse standing there looking at a, at a battery with a staple on top, and he says... The horse says that's a battery staple, and, and somebody says, correct. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, so it, it doesn't have to be as bad as we're sometimes made to think it is. I can't decide whether that's a highly simplified way or an unbelievably complicated <laughs> way. But I think part of this is, we're going to go to a break here in just a second, but uh, I think part of this is, and this might be kind of encouraging in a way to Randy Malamud, is that in some ways, I think things like that anyway, taking these random words, turning them into a cartoon, uh, maybe even having that cartoon sitting somewhere if you really needed to look at it. Um, you know, we've become more and more, at least in a fairly appealing way, like all participants in some kind of Victorian novel full of secrets and 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 
and, and secret little ways of encrypting things for ourselves. And, and so to that extent, anyway, everybody's got their own idiosyncratic system. Some work better than others. Uh, don't use the exact one that Will just gave out. You have to think up your own. No horses. Uh, um, we're going to talk more about this. We want to hear your experience with passwords. We promise uh, that uh, no, no one will be, will be able to guess your identity from your phone call to us. So please feel free to, uh, to uh, call us at 860-275-7266, 860-275-7266 with your questions, your anecdotes, your observations. Uh, are you in the same situation as Randy Malamud? Have you been turned into this person who is constantly thwarted by the requisite password system that you have to live under? Uh, 860-275-7266. You may tweet us. Uh, your identity will be less secure when you tweet us, but so try to bring, bring up a neutral question. You may tweet us at WNPR Colin. Why don't we take a break? We'll come back with more of both of our guests. All right, uh, we're back. Uh, let me tell you who our guests are in just a second. But before I do that, and while I remember, uh, did you notice how last night the time just seemed to crawl by? Another Tuesday night, you couldn't figure out what what do I do on Tuesday nights? There's nothing to do on Tuesday nights. Um, well, and I, I know your feeling. We, we're aware of this problem. And so um, in the future, on one Tuesday night, September 30th, I can't tell you anything else about this until you... Guess the password for it, uh, and it's Swordfish. I can't tell you any other details, but on Tuesday night, September 30th, we are going to celebrate the fifth anniversary of The Colin McEnroe Show. We are going to have a party. I can't tell you where. I can't tell you anything about it so far, but it's going to happen, and you're going to be invited. Uh, any listener who wants to come, uh, we're going to tell you how to register, and it's going to cost you like five bucks. $1 for every year of our existence, that kind of thing. Um, so w- we want you to, right now, circle that particular Tuesday and know, take comfort as these other Tuesdays crawl by with a despair that makes you feel as though you're marking time until death. You should know that there's going to be a Tuesday night in late September where you really have something to do and, and champagne courts are going to be popping around you and there's going to be merriment and excitement and happiness. Uh, so uh, so bear that in mind and, and circle that date. Or what do what do they say? They say there's something like hold this date or something. You get a refrigerator magnet for a wedding or something. Anyway, uh, we have to move on. Go back to our subject matter. Randy Malibut is chair of the Department of English at Georgia State University, the author of six books, including The Language of Modernism and Reading Zoos. He recently wrote an essay on passwordsforsalon.com uh, and in the Slate offices in New York City. Will Oremus uh, is a senior technology writer for Slate.com. We've also got some calls coming in here, and we will take those in just a second at 860 so, Randy Malamut, I want to um, bounce back to you for a second, and, and I'm going to describe a scenario to you, and you can tell me whether or not it resonates, whether it's sort of something that, that's happened to you. Okay. So, so you try to register for something new, something new that you want to do. It could be a new bank account, or it could be Airbnb, it could be Dropbox, it could be anything. And and you you they ask you for a password, and you input a password, and at minimum, you get told that that's only 
okay in terms of complexity. Um, but you might even be told, no, that's not acceptable. You have to have both an uppercase and a lowercase symbol somewhere in the password. And you also have to have uh, a number. And you might even be told you have to have a non-letter character in there, something like an exclamation point or an at sign or something like that. So that, um, I mean, I assume one of the things you're rebelling against in this essay is that that not only are some of your passwords probably not the best possible passwords, but sometimes you are living in some machine's world in terms of even the ability to select the really crappy password you want to use. That has happened to me, mm-hmm. and, it, and it feels really disempowering. You know, I, uh, and, and it makes me sometimes not want to sign up for you know, the Dropbox or whatever it is that, uh, that, that everybody else is doing. Uh, it makes me... Uh, you know, the, there are increasingly so many things that I can't do. You know, I call on my, my teenage sons for tech support to, uh, you know, to, to record something on TV, things that I used to be able to do or to use a map. Uh, and there's this kind of, of disempowerment uh, of, you know, and maybe it's, a, you know, I'm 52 years old, so maybe it's age-related. Maybe if I were in my 30s, I could still, uh, you know, figure out these passwords. But, uh, you know, you're commit- when, when you type in the, you know, FQ, exclamation point, whatever, you're, you're committing yourself to something. Uh, I, you know, th- that I know I'm not going to be able to, I'm not, I'm not going to be able to save. I'm not going to be able to follow through. Um, sometimes I'll just say, you know, forget it. Uh, I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to be able to get into this. Uh, and uh, I, I think there really is a, a kind of, you know, an internet gap. I mean, the, the digital divide, as they say, uh, and I don't know if it's age-based or culture-based or, you know, humanities versus tech people, uh, but, but it strikes me as a problem that, uh, that, that there is this sense of, of exclusion and alienation that the passwords are, are generating. Um, and we're, you know, we're afraid. We talk about uh, be, being afraid of password theft. I mean, that, that, that emotion is not a wonderful, healthy thing I have to have, uh, to have in the zeitgeist, is that we're, we're afraid of our password getting hacked. We're afraid of the Russian hackers or the Chinese hackers. You know, we become xenophobic. We become insecure. Uh, and we lose you know, exactly all of these things that should be so wonderful about plunging into the world of words and languages. All right. So and we'll come back to that idea. Although, Willow Remus, um, uh, in a little while, you're going to tell us a little bit more about the, the state of the art in this stuff. And if anything, uh, it's even more anti-humanistic and, and less volitional uh, than, than what we're talking about right now. But there really isn't much that Randy can do short of going <laughs> back to the world of hoop skirts, hoop skirts and stereo opticons, right? I mean, this is just basically the world that we live in. If you want to sign up for this particular—I mean, actually, let me phrase it a different way, Will. One of the things that happens, I think— is that we get asked for passwords at a moment when we want something. You know, inevitably, when you're interacting with the Internet, you want access to something. Uh, and and so you probably will go <laughs> along with almost anything in order to get that access. Yeah, yeah making, having to make up a gibberish password is actually uh, one of the lesser compromises of your soul that you make when you sign up for most online services these days, uh, given the, the terms of service that we agree to with regard to our data. I, I guess your other guest is unable to hear me at the moment. Right. Uh, do you want to check in with him for a second? Uh, no, we've got somebody, we've got a technical person running around trying to deal with that right now, but, um, but so keep going. All right, all right, so, uh, so it's... Uh, you know, so, uh, but there are ways that you can make it better. So I agree. I hate it when sites require you. Some sites will say that your uh, password must be 
a minimum of six characters. That's fine. Uh, that's that's really uh, basic. Every every password should be more than six characters. Then you'll run into others that say your password can only be a maximum of 12 characters. Well, that's obnoxious. There's no reason for that. That's making it easier to guess. It's preventing you from using correct horse battery staple or some variation thereof uh, on that site. Uh, you know, others will say that you have to have special characters and symbols, uh, and then there are some that say you can't have special characters and symbols. All of that stinks. I agree with that 100%. Um, I, I don't know, uh, even people in IT, even techies, this is not just a techie versus humanist thing, even people in IT a lot of times think that that is obnoxious. That said, here's a tip. So here's a way to do it, maybe to, to just minimize the pain. You're not going to get rid of the pain. But to minimize it, so pick again, pick a you know a sentence or a series of several words in a row as your base password, and then instead of having to come up with a different whole password for every site, just append a couple characters to the beginning or to the end that are dependent on the site itself. So so for example, um, if your password is correct horse battery staple, and you need a different password for each of your online surf- ser- services, for Twitter, take the first letter of Twitter, the T and the last letter, the R, put the T at the beginning of correct horse battery staple, put the R at the end, and then for Facebook, you know, put an F at the beginning and put a K at the end. Uh, and then you'll have a different password for every site, unless, uh, you know, maybe you belong to some other sites that start with an F and end with a K, in which case I won't judge you. But, uh, <laughs> you know, th- that's, a, that's a very easy way, uh, a relatively easy way to do it, where you only have to remember a couple of base passwords, and then you can actually intuit the rest of the password from the name of the site itself. Uh, we're going to go uh, take some phone calls here in just a second, 860-275-7266. Let me grab a, a, uh, a call from Susan. This is a, actually, actually something that I've been thinking about as well. Hi, Susan. Hi, how are you, Colin? Good. I have a quick question for your guests, and I'll take my answer offline. First of all, this, their advice is great, but it's also somewhat daunting for a humanist like me. If you take the advice of creating unique and complex um, passwords through different sites, and actually I like the advice I just got, but I still think that's still quite complex for a simple mind like mine, where do you keep track of them all? So, for instance, right now I have them all on my computer. So, you know, if I have maybe 30 different sites to which I belong, I've got 30 passwords on a spreadsheet on my computer, which only helps me if I'm sitting in my home office at my computer, um, but also invites a great opportunity for them to be stolen if I ever lose my laptop. So if they could just give us some suggestions on where to store passwords safely so we can access them when we forget them, as I usually do. Thanks. Well, okay, and uh, Susan, just please promise me that the spreadsheet is not called Susan's Passwords. Uh, all right, she's not there. So uh, Randy's advice, of course, is to store them on a piece of parchment in a roll t- in a pigeonhole in a roll top desk, uh, some kind of secretary from the uh, from the nineteenth century. And we'll come back to that in a second. But will she? She? This is something a lot of people do, right? I mean, this is, by the way, far more sophisticated than something uh, another group of people do, which is to write the password on a post-it and put the post-it on the screen of their computer. If you walk around any office building, I guarantee you, if I walked around even Slate, even tech savvy slate. If I walked into David Plotz's office, assuming he still got one, I'd find a post-it that has some <laughs> password that he has to use all the time because that's what people do, right? Yeah, yeah it is. And, and let, me, let me reassure you and your, and your caller on a couple counts. Uh, the first is, the good news is that, that honestly, 
it's not that likely that you're, you know, if you lose your laptop, it's not that likely that it's going to fall into the hands of hackers. Not that many people lose their laptop in the first place. It's actually not that bad to have your stuff on a spreadsheet on your computer, unless your computer is, is in a place where it's easy for lots of other people to get to. Most of the password hacks that we're talking about these days are done by people who will never, ever see your computer in their lives. They may never set foot in the same country as you in their lives. They're doing this uh, by by guessing the password using using algorithms and and uh, big long lists of usernames and passwords that they've uh, acquired from, from other hackers who have guessed passwords. So uh, it's actually not as bad as you think. I mean, one simple step you can do is just encrypt the, the, the note, um, you know, put, a, put an extra password on the note that you have on your computer where you're storing your passwords. Of course, the ideal thing would be to have them all in your head, and that's why um, the the method that I just told you about, where you can guess the name of the password for each of your sites just by looking at the name of the site, that's why that can be helpful. Um, but you know, the other thing to to remember is that most of the sites, if you get you know, if you don't remember your passwords, it's not the end of the world. Thank mm -hmm. goodness. It's, you know, the, these sites know that people forget their passwords all the time. They know it's impossible for people to remember everything. So I'm sure what a lot of us go around doing, we'll we'll sign up for a site, we'll set a password that we think we're going to remember. We'll go back to that site a month later. We will have totally forgotten the password. And all you do is ask, and they send you uh, a link to your primary email address where you can reset the password. Now, that's not the most secure thing in the world. Um, that A determined hacker, that will actually be a vulnerability that allows them to get to you. But A, most hackers aren't that determined. At least they're not that determined to get to you in particular. Uh, and, and B... Um, when you when you do that, uh, you know as long as the, it's not too secure, it's not too important of an account. It's not that big a deal if someone hacks into it. Just set up two-factor authentication on the the really a couple really important accounts, and all that means is that you have to not only have the password, but if you're logging in from a different computer than your usual one, which any hacker would be, you also have to get like a text message on your phone with a secondary code. Just do that for the important ones, and don't worry so much about all the others. All right, so um, I've got a couple of things I want to say about that, and I want to ask Randy a question too, but I will quickly say that one thing that I have done, if Susan, if you're still listening, is, and this is the way in which my life is, with passwords, is gradually turning into like an A.S. Byatt novel or something, <laughs> is that I I do have a file, but the file is all kind of encrypted in ways that would make sense only to me. So let's, or let's say that my password is... I don't know, Frodo 88 or something like that. I would probably put like ring bearer piano keys or something. So, so, and not only that, but I would also encrypt somehow if that was the password to my Capital One account, I might put Alec Baldwin or I don't know what I would put. But, um, so that's one thing that people do. But Randy, I do think that Will is mildly guilty of having made one of these processes seem a little bit more benign than it really is. Because I'm guessing just from the irritation that I heard in your voice earlier that you've had the experience of trying to log on to something, let's say it's a something important to you, like a bank account or something like that, something which has its own fairly high security standards and your password because you teach English uh, and because you love Dickens is steer forth five exclamation point or something and you type it wrong a couple of times and you can't see it because you can't see type uh, passwords when you're typing them and then the account decides that you might be a hacker at which point this the process that will describe begins right you're offered an opportunity via email to create new passwords and stuff like that but that that can be I think that does speak to the creed de cour that you're talking about right now where you're just living in this Kafka S system that you you barely understand. 
yep, that happens to me all the time. And, you know, and maybe you can get a password right away by email. Maybe you're locked out or, or some other very scornful term they have for it, and you have to call back during business hours and, and answer some questions about your mother's maiden name. And uh, it's just it's, it's very invasive. Uh, and it, uh, it, it contributes to this, this feeling of inadequacy uh, that I think we have about, uh, you know, about, about the, 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 the words that we're, that we're typing in uh, and just a general loss of control. And I guess also, I think also because you're teaching and you're teaching, uh, I assume, uh, some undergraduates, um, you're concerned at a lot of different levels that they're increasingly developing a different symbolic and semiotic and linguistic system, linguistic system from the one that you use, right? They already talk a different language when they're texting, and now they're inventing passwords that really don't have analogs uh, anywhere in the English language. And, and once again, as an upholder of the humanities, uh, there's a concern, right, that increasingly their language is more like the language uh, of, of a CPU than it is uh, of a person? Again, there's a digital divide. You know, the word later used to have five letters in it, and now it has two letters and a number in the middle, a numeral. Uh, and, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm open to it. I'm, I'm willing to, uh, you know, sort of meet them halfway and, and think about how they take, you know, other symbols and sounds and put them into linguistic uh, settings. And, again, you know, I'm, I'm not saying the language has to be ossified, that it has to be fixed. You know, we know how many neologism Shakespeare uh, contributed to the language. And, you know, so that's, that's a great thing. The language is changing and evolving, um, but there has to be some sort of common ground and some some rationale for the uh, you know for the texting language that you're using or that uh, uh, you know the, the the abbreviations and uh, and you can go online. You can go to Urban Dictionary online, and you can and I love Urban Dictionary, uh, you know, because it's about words. It's one of these sort of archives uh, of words that I love. I love a thesaurus. I love crossword puzzles. I love Scrabble. You know, there there are so many different sort of configurations. Uh, of words and playing with words and, and rearranging them and, and, and making things out of letters and so forth. And uh, I guess I wish that, uh, you know, maybe the, the, the tech companies would hire as a consultant somebody who designs crossword puzzles. I think that would be a great idea. Or maybe um, an English department chair or something like that. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. I could use a little extra. Cash. We have to take yeah. a quick and break. Well, yeah, go ahead, Will. Of course, English professors would would never speak in in a sort of language uh, that would be incomprehensible to the uh, the majority of the public, right? They wouldn't go around uh, dropping Dickens yeah. references all over the place that or, uh, that a lot of listeners didn't get. Or God forbid, fair, fair point, Will. Guilty as charged. Right. Or God forbid, Derrida. Uh, then it gets very complicated. All right, he does teach modernism too. That makes me nervous. All right, we'll take a little break. We'll come back with more. Will is going to tell you how anti-humanistic Randy Malamud, your immediate future, will be become Just tell me your code already. What is it? I am not giving you my code. I bet I can guess it. <laughs> yeah, right. Ah, oh, all right. Yeah. Well, we can throw out birthdays immediately. That's too obvious. And no numbers for you. You're a word man. All right, let's go deeper. Uh, what kind of man are you? Oh, you're weak, spineless, man of temptations. But what tempts you? Huh? You're a portly fellow. 
A bit long in the waistband. So what's your pleasure? Is it the salty snacks you crave? No, 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 no. Yours is a sweet tooth. Oh, you may stray, but you'll always return to your dark master. The go-go bee. I gotta go. If you could, you'd guzzle it by the gallon. Ovaltine. Hershey's. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Kramer can guess your password. He can guess Randy Malamud's password. He cannot guess Will Aramis's password. It's so Will Aramis has way too complicated a password for him. Uh, before we go back to these guests, I do want to quickly just uh, say a few thank yous here. Uh, Britt Hill and Katie Pikus have been our interns today. When things go wrong, we start screaming, Gene, Gene. So Gene Amatrude has been running around and uh, helping us today. Betsy Kaplan, of course, is the person who uh, who uh, produced this show today. And Greg Hill is handling our Twitter account, as he often does. He's our tweet master at WNPR Colin. He knows the password to our Twitter account. So, Will Aremus, uh, we've been talking to you and to Randy Malamud, who's the chair of the Department of English at Georgia State University. If it turns out he's a French deconstructivist, all this whining about passwords is going to have a terribly hollow ring to it somehow. Uh, but right now he has my total sympathies. Um, so, um, Will, one thing you have written about recently is uh, well, first of all, the, the death of the password has been proclaimed repeatedly over the years and even decades, and uh, no less uh, uh, an eminence grees than Bill Gates has said passwords are basically over. They're not over, but there are other things coming, and there are, are things that have already pulled into the station. You want to mention one or two of those? Yeah, so this was the thesis of the, the most recent piece that I wrote for Slate, which, is, which was in defense of the password. We've been trash-talking passwords for the better part of an hour, and it's all justified. Passwords are terrible, they're annoying, they're impossible to remember. But I have a suspicion we're still going to miss them when they're gone, because what's coming, what's going to replace them, is, is different. It's, it's going to be a lot less fun. I mean, that Seinfeld clip was hilarious. Passwords at least give you a fighting chance. You're trying to outsmart the hackers. You will not have that if and when passwords are replaced by, for instance, biometrics. Uh, so an example of biometrics is Apple, uh, their new iPhone now has a system called Touch ID where it will scan your uh, thumbprint when you touch the home button. Uh, and if it, if it thinks that that's the correct thumb, it will let you in. If it doesn't, it won't let you in. Uh, that is, you know, there's some real appeal to that. You don't have to remember anything. All you do is put your thumb there, and if all goes well, you're in. Now, the problem is those systems are necessarily imperfect. Your thumb is not the same every time you touch that home button. Sometimes it has dirt on it. Sometimes it's hotter. Sometimes it's colder. It might be a little wet. Uh, and so there has to be some tolerance for error built in. And getting that tolerance for error right is really hard. A lot of people already have had frustration with their own iPhone not letting them in because it doesn't think that their thumb is the right one. Uh, it's also possible there were hackers very early on who were able to take someone's digital fingerprint, uh, put it on some sort of latex strip, and uh, impersonate someone else's thumbprint and, and get into their iPhone that way. So uh, it's not perfect. It can be very frustrating. And the worst part is that when it is frustrating you won't be able to do anything about it. I mean, you will feel so helpless when, uh, you know, the biometric scanner says, no, no, I'm sorry, the, you know, we scanned the iris of your eye, and that's not, that's not your eye. <laughs> uh, you, you'll just be out of luck. And the other thing about biometrics is that they require uh, all of your uh, accounts to be linked to your true identity. You know, when they do work, it's your same fingerprint that's being used to get you into any service that uses fingerprint biometrics. It's your same iris. If someone hacks it, 
you can't just change it and reset it and get a new one. You're stuck with it for life. What happens then? Uh, if it's not reading it properly, you're just you're just out of luck. So those, I, I think that biometrics in particular, they have a lot of appeal for their simplicity. But unless we also have passwords as a backup, or at least something else as a backup, they are going to be pro- going to prove to be way more frustrating than the system we have today. Plus, they give a tremendous incentive to mobsters from Kazakhstan to cut your thumb off. Yeah, uh, that's and, that. uh, we we wouldn't want that. So, David, I think uh, yeah, there's another system that Will was going to talk about anyway. I think you already have it, right? Uh, we're talking to David from Hartford. Hi, David. Hi. Uh, yes, I um, use a system that the computer security expert Bruce Schneier uh, endorses which is to use a program such as LastPass, which is a software that plugs into your browser, because you only really need to know these things when you're using your browser on the Internet. And you basically use one master password. That's an example where you can take the top 12 characters from your favorite Dickens novel, put them together, and it will store as many combinations of individual username and passwords as you want, and you just click on a combination. It opens the web page, plugs the information in, and logs you in. Will, Will, there's a lot of different variants on this, and we're running out of time here, but so there are various kinds of password bank programs and things that send things to your phone, right? That's sort of the other alternative. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so so yeah, a password manager. A lot of people like password managers. A lot of people swear by them. In that case, you're not tasked with remembering your passwords. You offload that responsibility to some software. There are still some hassles involved in password managers. You have to be disciplined to make sure that you're using it every time when you when you uh, open a new account. Uh, but there are definitely upsides if you just don't want to worry about passwords as much. If you don't like having to come up with them and remember them, uh, password managers are not a bad idea. There's also what's called device-based authentication in which uh, something like your phone will itself be a sort of digital key that functions uh, like a like a password. So you walk up to your computer, and in order to get into your computer, if you have your phone on you, it will recognize, hey, that's your phone. Let him in. Uh, so so that can be really convenient as well. But you have that same problem where you have a single point of failure. If you don't have your phone with you, it's like you've forgotten all of your passwords at once, and you can't reset them. I wish I had time to uh, get Randy Malamud's response to this, but I I sense that even the words uh, offloading this responsibility to a piece of software sounds like a Randy Malamud poem about the end of the world. Uh, And so we're going to have to stop on that grim note. Willow Remus, uh, great to talk to you. Randy Malamud, thank you so much. Chair of the Department of English at Georgia State University. Uh, His books include Language of Modernism and Reading Zoos. He's got a piece on passwords for Salon.com. Follow all of Will's technology coverage at Slate, including his very up-to-the-date or up-to-date article about what we were just talking about, uh, the death of the password. Nah, not so much. Passwords are good, but there are other things coming along that will cause you to offload yourself to them. We'll be back tomorrow with Sociopath. What a perfect segue, actually. We didn't even really plan it. Thank you.